0: Welcome back to A Magical Life. I'm your host, Magic Barclay. Today, I'm again joined by Cassie Christopher. Now, imagine me stamping my foot and pointing my finger at you and at myself. You're not alone, listeners. Cassie, many of us do numb our emotions with food, whether we know about it or not, whether we, I guess, do it consciously or not. So, I really want to dedicate this episode to all the people out there who hide behind their relationships with foods. They might hide behind, you know, the external influence of others as well around food. It might be a family thing, it might be a friendship group kind of thing, or it might just be a self soothing behavior. So, let's go how can people stop numbing emotions with food?
1: Yeah, such an important question. And I think the first place we have to start is understanding why we might numb emotions with food and then really how to know if you're doing this. And if you listened to our previous podcast recording, you heard me talk about how all or nothing dieting really creates this disconnect from our bodies that make us turn to food to feel good uh, we we learn over time when we're on the, you know, nothing part of all or nothing dieting that eating all that food makes us feel good, whether we're conscious of it or not. And what I mean by that uh, is you may not realize that you're numbing your emotions with food, but here are some ideas for how to know if you're numbing with food. Uh, I, I see three different categories. One is People feel like food is better than Xanax. I have had a client say that to me. They recognize that food makes them feel better, that they have comfort. They notice cravings may increase when they're feeling stressed out or emotional um, and you know, this is also for people who maybe are on their cycles, and the the increase in emotions and increase in stress hormones are going to be causing more food cravings. Um, so that's one way to know if you're numbing with food. The second way is food helps you zone out. So, an example of this, I was talking to a woman who said, you know, everything you say makes so much sense to me, except one thing, I don't think I'm an emotional eater. <laughs> and she's someone who's been through years of therapy, right? She considers herself very emotionally adjusted. And of course she is and, uh, and balanced and a very capable woman. But what was interesting is we talked about some of her eating patterns. And one of them is, you know, she would, while she was making dinner, she would end up eating a bunch of cheese at the end of her day. And that was really when she would struggle with extra eating. And what we realized when we were talking about that behavior was the cheese really allowed her to zone out during a task that she didn't enjoy, which is cooking. Uh, and, you know, zone out after a, a long, difficult day. So for her, the food was allowing her to zone out. And I think that happens a lot, that food works so effectively to numb the discomfort and give us some space from those feelings that we don't even realize that's what it's doing. The third way to know if you're numbing your emotions with food is if you feel like you're eating out of habit or eating mindlessly. And I hear this most often around TV at night. And women will say, you know, okay, or and men do this too, of course. It's, you know, 9 p.m. I'm sitting and watching TV and uh, I am just eating. I'm going to the kitchen. I'm getting more food. And the interesting thing about TV is TV, social media, you know, reading kind of mindless books. Those are all other ways to escape from the present, to numb, you know, what might be difficult in your life. And so eating during that time is just another way to escape. That mindlessness allows you to escape. It allows you to numb. And by working on being more present and um, caring for your emotions without food, you can start to heal that behavior. But you have to understand that it's not habit and it's not mindless. There's something more going on.
0: Very much so. Now, how do people recognize that more is going on? Like there's often a signal or I love to call them whispers, but something that maybe people can recognize as this isn't what needs to be happening. So there's just that second in time between feeling the emotion, feeling the boredom or whatever the stimulant to the behavior is and the behavior starting. How do people recognize what that moment in time is?
1: Yeah. So what I would say is it's really hard to recognize it in the moment. I just want to validate that to people out there going, okay, maybe I'm an emotional leader, but you know, how do I know what emotion I'm eating or, you know, what my um, warning sign is exactly like you're, you're talking about? What's that thing that's happening? And it's different for each person. It's different for various emotions. Um, but how you discover that is through a process uh, I call debriefing. I mean, you know, everybody uses the word debriefing, but specifically applied to food You can look at the incident that happened, the overeating or the emotional eating or the binging, and you can go back through the day before that time. And this is what I often do with my clients in coaching sessions, whether it be, you know, group or one-on-one. And we talk through what happened that day. Did you eat regularly? What was the emotions going on? What were the events going on? How were you feeling? And through those conversations, people will often go, oh, okay this thing happened and that was such a big deal for me. And then all these hours later, when I finally had the time to, you know, slow down from my busy day, those feelings caught up with me and I wanted to escape them because they were very uncomfortable you know, so debriefing can help you see what caused the eating. But the other thing that often happens is what's called dissociating, which is where you kind of have an out of body experience or your emotions just completely shut down. And so if you eat and you feel nothing, that's another indication that in fact, you're using food to numb. and, And that can be pretty common with binge eating.
0: Definitely. And, you know, on the flip side, anorexia, we need to talk about this as well. That is depriving or punishing yourself through not eating because of something that could have happened physically or emotionally. So it's not just the binging on the food, but it's also the deprivation. This is another way that your emotions are tied to food. It doesn't have to be that you're eating the food, it can be That you're depriving yourself.
1: That's a really great point. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be as severe as a diagnosis like anorexia. What I often see is people will, you know, go through the pattern of overeating or doing the emotional eating. They might feel out of control. They might feel overwhelmed with things in their life in general. And as a way to try to control all of the difficult feelings they're experiencing, they're Struggles with food, they will then turn to ri- very rigid. Food patterns like extreme diets, or okay, I have to track every single thing I put in my mouth, and just almost militant rigidity uh, with their eating. And and again, you know, that's another coping mechanism, another way to deal with some of these difficult emotions. But it's not actually dealing with the emotions in the same way that emotional eating isn't. It's just masking them or or finding a way to to separate yourself from the discomfort.
0: Exactly. And and I think it's that separation of self that really is the key here. So how do you coach people around that separation, around that not being able to find the joy on their own, but really seeking it through the food?
1: Yeah. So, like we talked about earlier, if the all or nothing dieting is causing this disconnection from our bodies and ourselves and from food, then the answer is to cultivate the courage to trust, the courage to trust ourselves, the courage to trust ourselves around food. And, you know, to know that we're going to hear and respond to our body's cues instead of eating to numb or restricting for control. And to know that we can mindfully indulge and also consistently make nourishing choices. And so the four pillars of the courage to trust method that allow you to create that supportive relationship with food, your body, and health so you can eat with joy instead of eating to seek joy are first to calm your nervous system, second, to become more self-compassionate, The third pillar is to listen to yourself. And then lastly, we talk about metabolism boosting as many women that I'm working with uh, are trying to lose weight. And we have to find a way to incorporate that uh, in a way that doesn't damage or further damage their relationship with food. So that first pillar, calming your nervous system helps to stop using food to numb because when the nervous system is active and that fight flight, freeze, or fawn is you know going strong we 're going to keep reaching for food and we 're going to uh, keep leaving what I call the zone of trust. you know the zone of trust is that place where we feel calm, we feel like we can trust ourselves around food, we feel like we can make good choices for ourselves. And when our nervous system is, uh, is agitated, when we're agitated, it's, we're outside that zone of trust. And that's where we do the emotional eating and, you know, the rigid control and binge eating. And that's where we're anxious and depressed and all all of these other issues. And so when we're in that zone of trust, uh, getting calming our nervous system rather helps us get into that zone of trust so that we have the, Kind of mental capacity and energy to actually deal with the emotions. It calms things down and
0: creates an environment where that's possible. Definitely. Now there's something that we haven't quite talked about here. And, you know, I think with so much going on in the world at the moment, and look, it's been happening for years. It's the eat this now to feel better, do this so that you're healthier this is a superfood that's not a superfood you know stay at home go out and enjoy your life like there's contradictory information every single day bombarding people and I know when I was going through my own emotional eating issues you know one day I would be like I've got to eat quinoa because it's superfood and the next day oh no you know that's creating inflammation. I've got to stop eating it. How do you get around all that massive misinformation out there?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question because what often happens out of my work when we go through these four pillars, you know, calming the nervous system, self-compassion, and the third is listening to yourself. When the nervous system is calm and you're not getting all of that fight, flight, or freeze messaging, and you're becoming kinder to yourself, so you're not beating yourself up for every little mistake with self-compassion, and you're making progress because you can see the small wins with self-compassion, When those two things are in place, it becomes safe to actually turn inward and check in with yourself about how you are feeling when you eat a certain food, you're able to notice what foods make you feel satisfied and make you feel good, what foods make you feel sluggish, you know, what activities make your body feel amazing so that you can keep doing them, that when these other factors are taken care of, you're really able to learn. One of my clients said, I feel like I'm getting a PhD in myself, which isn't that the most amazing thing to get a PhD in, when you can listen to yourself uh, and, and connect with yourself in a way that feels safe, you know, because these other pieces are taken care of, then you're able to know what works for you. You know, the quinoa example is great. You can eat quinoa and notice, does it make you feel good or does it make you feel bad? And you can know the answer for you rather than feeling bombarded by all of this conflicting messaging.
0: And you did allude to this a little before, and I really just want to expand on this. You know, so many people go, I'll do it tomorrow. I've already stuffed up today. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next year. Or I'm never going to eat this again, and then they find themselves eating it. I know I'm one of those people. And when I make a hard and fast rule in my head about not eating a certain thing, Before I know it, I have gone out of my way to break that rule. So if it's, I'm not going to have any hot chips, I will actually find myself driving to the next town 15 minutes away to get the hot chips. So how do you get around that, you know, that wanting to break rules, even if they're your own? Oh, this
1: is such a great question. And what you're describing where you create this rule for yourself, I love how you called it a hard and fast rule. That's that all or nothing, right? And when you create that that rule and it's on your list of no foods, the things that you can't eat then you actually get what's called forbidden food syndrome which is where exactly as you described that food becomes all the more interesting to you and you actually get more dopamine when you're thinking about the food and dopamine then acts as a motivator so it's dopamine's role to motivate us to get in the car and drive 15 minutes to the next town for the hot chips so that's what what's happening there and so how do you deal with that Because the truth, I mean, as much as we would like to think it's true that there are no bad foods, I really do believe that all foods, you know, have a place, but also there are foods that are healthier than other foods, right? And, and that's, that is a fact. And so how do we overcome that forbidden foods syndrome and also make those consistently healthy choices? And the answer is really when you are working through these four pillars of the courage to trust method and you're learning to trust yourselves around food, trust what your body is telling you and, and respond to what your body is telling you, the choices that you make don't become, you know, hard and fast rules to deprive you. They become loving boundaries that you set for yourself uh, out of self-care. So let me give you an example of this. I had a client who, um, loved diet Coke and she would drink, you know, one in the morning and then all throughout the day. And she'd stop at fast food and get a large container of diet Coke. And, uh, but she noticed, she always knew Diet Coke maybe wasn't great for her. That was always in the back of her mind, some suspicion that this was not a food for her. But as she was connecting with her body, listening to herself, getting the courage to trust the signals that her body was sending her, then she um, she noticed that diet Co- the Diet Coke actually was exacerbating her autoimmune joint condition. So the Diet Coke was making her pain worse, her symptoms worse. And because she was learning that and she was learning to care for herself and give herself that care and that self-compassion and that self-love, that self-appreciation, she was able to set a boundary for herself. She found something she enjoyed in the morning just as well, a very strong cinnamon tea drink. And, And it wasn't a hard and fast rule. She said, you know what? if I want Diet Coke, you know, if I'm just craving it really bad, I can go out and I can get some. Or if if I'm, you know, at a place with girlfriends and that just sounds really good to me, I will allow myself to have some Diet Coke knowing that I'm going to have some symptoms with it. And that's okay because I don't have to eat perfectly, right? Because perfect is the same as all or nothing. And so she was able to set a really loving boundary for herself that didn't feel restrictive, didn't set off that forbidden food syndrome and resulted in, you know, way, way less diet coke and way less
0: pain. Fantastic. Now I want to wrap this episode up with you now, Cassie, what are some parting pills of wisdom you have for people? I think
1: my, my most important pearl I would share is to be kind to yourself. This journey of behavior change, getting healthier, losing weight, you know, whatever your focus is, is hard. It is really hard. And if you've been struggling with secret eating or, you know, dieting for years and years only to gain more than you've ever lost that's just genuinely, uh, I think, suffering. It is a struggle. And I want to really note that. And I think that our culture tells us that if, if you're struggling like that, there's something wrong with you, that you must not have enough willpower or self-control. And that's, I don't believe that. In fact, I, you know, boldly get on my soapbox and say, that isn't true. It has nothing to do with self-control or willpower and all everything to do with the fact that the all or nothing dieting, the very, you know, solution that we've been given has actually disconnected for us from ourselves. We no longer trust ourselves, but you can cultivate that courage to trust. That is possible for you. And I really think the first step for some, uh, some of our listeners is likely a little bit of kindness. You know, speak to yourself like you would a friend. If I could share a saying from the mindfulness-based self-compassion community, uh, they, they often will say, may I be kind. And that's something in my thoughts when I'm noticing unkindness about my body or, you know, my behaviors or whatever, I just say to myself sometimes out loud, may I be kind? And that really puts a stop to that. Uh, mean self chatter. And so I, I share that with all of you, you know, may you be kind If, if you need to put your hand on your heart and just say it out loud right now, making that commitment to yourself to be a little kinder. And that's going to be the first step towards cultivating the courage to
0: trust. I think that's just so beautiful. Thank you, Cassie. Now people can find you at CassieChristopher.net. all your information's up there listeners I encourage you to contact Cassie this really is such a big issue this emotional eating that so many of us really do struggle to get hold of and it is something that you can quite easily relapse into if you don't get the correct help so the correct team and Cassie is there for you definitely with this Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure, listeners. This was your episode 167. In 168, Ellen Stevens will talk to us about think what you could achieve. So we're just going on with this mindset. We're rolling through life, making every day better so that you can go forth and create your magical life. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to hear future episodes, leave a review and share this podcast. You can follow us on Facebook at A Magical Life Podcast or at Holistic Natural Health Australia. That's holistic with a W. You can find us on Instagram at Holistic Natural Health or at www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au. That's where you'll access all sorts of articles, freebies and more.